Yeah, we've got, uh, so I think we had mentioned before about restarting the nursery. Uh, it's obviously, it's important to us. And we've been, we've been wanting to restart certain things for a long time. Uh, and if you were here last week, you heard the prophetic word that Pastor Jack uh, gave over us, which was the, the green light and the red light. And the Lord really honestly had stopped us multiple times from doing certain things. He just put up the stop sign. And no matter how much we would try to push forward, the stop sign was up. I mean, we would be pouring our hearts into certain things, like we need to do this, we know this is something that has to happen, and he just kept putting up the stop sign, the stop sign. Well, we got the green light from the Holy Spirit to move forward. That was both the prophetic word, and we knew that in our hearts. Uh, and so we are excited about uh, the relaunch of kids' ministry, we're going to do it kind of in sections. And there's, there's really two phases of section one. Uh, and the, one of the first phases we've been talking about, which is nursery. Uh, and as Elle said, we need really nine volunteers to launch the nursery. That ensures everybody serves just one time per month, uh, and that there's teams of people that are able to uh, work through it. Uh, we don't have a launch date set yet, because I only have six of the nine needed. Uh, so if you are interested in, you know, you feel like the Lord's speaking to you about helping out in kids' ministry area, you can sign up on the back, on that back table there, right, kind of where the pumpkin is uh, on the way out. There's a table there, and it has the six people have already signed up, so we thank you for that. And then there's three slots still available. Uh, and that does, if you sign there, doesn't mean that you're fully committing forever. So it just means you're interested, we're going to reach out to you, we're going to talk to you, and we just want to make sure that this is a good fit uh, for you as well. And then phase two of, I do have my football today. I'll explain that in a little bit. Phase two, kind of which within kind of this initial launch, what we want to go do is we have been working on, the Lord released us to create a family room. And a family room, so as the nursery launches, which will be ages zero through three, we wanted a place for the families to be able to go who have, who have kids, either, you know, they could be zero to three or somewhere between ages less than eight, a place for them to go. And we have been praying and praying and praying what to do with the old bookstore, which is the room that's right inside the door when you come in. It's right to your left-hand side. And the Lord gave us a vision when we were off at the trip. He confirmed it wholeheartedly in multiple ways. And we are launching a family room as well at the same time. So that room will have some couches in it, some toys for kids to do. There will be some books. And there's all exciting things that are going to be happening in the family room. So that's moving forward. Don't need volunteers for that. Could use a little extra cash for that. So if you are interested in supporting any of these two ministries financially, we certainly could do, use that as well because we are. We want to... What we've realized is we don't just want to reopen the room as is. We want to bring new life to the room. Some of that means painting. Some of that means new toys. We went back and looked the last time we invested in kids' ministry in the actual things that the kids use. It's been a long time. And the time that we got the green light. And it's time to move forward. It's time to go. So we're excited about that launch uh, of kids' ministry, uh, kind of in those first two phases. And then as the Lord leads. I don't know what's after that. But as the Lord leads, we're going to be able to continue to see him move and work. Amen? Because he is moving and he is working. Uh, so, okay. So that's that last announcement there. I do want to pray over our tithes and offerings here. And just so you know, I am going to do, in the coming weeks, I am going to do a little bit of vision casting. Um, I don't think I'm going to start next week. I have a thought of when I'm going to start. Of course, the Lord will lead 
uh, when I do that. But I'm probably going to do about two weeks of vision casting as well as explaining the leadership structure of this church, the eldership structure that we are moving towards. What does that look like? We're going to you know, celebrate that. Of course, I mentioned this before, uh, Andy Musella, who isn't here uh, this morning, but he is going to be installed as an elder. And so I want to talk about that, explain that to everybody, part of the vision casting series. So it's really important if you call this your home church, and this is a place where you feel planted, that as you see that go out on Facebook or wherever you see what's happening at the church, uh, I want you guys to make sure you attend those if you can, because it's super important. If you miss it for whatever reason, to go back and listen to those, uh, the vision casting and moving forward. But I'm excited what the Lord is doing moving forward. Amen? Amen. Okay, uh, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. Just as our offering scripture here. It says, Now may he who supplies the seed to the sower. Come on, church. He who supplies the seed. He is asking us to plant our seed, to give back, to tithe, to sow into ministries, to do that thing. But it is he who actually provided the seed in the first place, and all we have to do is sow it. We don't have to strive to get the seed. He's the one providing the seed, amen? It's he who supplies the seed to the sower, and bread for food. Supply and multiply the seed you have sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Come on, church, is that not a tithe scripture or what? He who supplies the seed to the sower, that he supplies and he will multiply everything that we have sown and increase the fruits of our righteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for every gift, every giver. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are the seed provider. And Lord, you're just asking us to give back a portion of what you've given us. Lord, we just remember always that we're just a distribution center on this earth. It's not, we're not here to keep it, to hold on to it, Father, but we are to distribute it because we don't take anything with us when we get to meet you. And so, Father, I just thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit leads and guides our giving above and beyond tithes and offerings, Lord, as you lead us and guide us. And, Father, I pray a special blessing over this message this morning. As we wrap up this series on offenses, Lord, that you would be the mouthpiece today. Your Holy Spirit will speak through me on this word today. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Okay, open up your Bibles to, let's do, go to Luke 17. As I mentioned, this is the last week of the offenses series. And all God's people said, <laughs> right? Like this, is, this has been, I hear you guys, this has been a difficult, like it's, it's tough for me as I've been learning and studying it. And then delivering the message that the Holy Spirit has. And I know for a fact, because I've talked to a lot of you, that this has been challenging to you in your life and the things that the Lord wants to do. So confirming to me is that this is what our church needed to hear and the timing in that you guys needed to hear it, including myself. And this is week six. I know Pastor Jim did a great message last week on focus, uh, which kind of actually gets in a little bit into the vision series stuff that I'm going to be doing uh, in the future. But this is the final week of this series, and I just want to remind us all, I want to read this scripture in Luke 17, and I just want to remind us all what an offense is, and the detriment it has when we hold on to it, one when we take it, and then when we hold on to it. It says this in Luke 17, then he said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. 
It's impossible, church. It's impossible that no offenses will come. Which means if you're living and you're breathing, or if you're holding a football, there's my football analogy here today, offenses will come. They're going to come. It's the nature of living. It's part of being human. I mean, maybe other animals offend each other. I don't know. That doesn't matter. I don't care. But as humans, there are offenses that come. So it's impossible to know offenses. But woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Verse 3, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And so this series, we walk through really what an offense was. We use the Greek word scandalon, and that basically means a trap. So it's called The Bait of Satan. Uh, John Bevere wrote an incredible book on that. If you're interested in learning more, I would suggest you read that. Uh, go through a study that he has on that. It's amazing. Uh, but it's called The Trap. Because what happens is, is when we take the bait of offense, we get stuck. We get stuck right where we are. And we talked about how an offense leads. So when you are offended, we hold on to that offense. It leads to betrayal, which leads to hate, which leads to deception. This is all in Matthew 24. I'm not making it up. It leads to lawlessness, and it leads to a love growing cold. So you think of our marriages and our relationships and our friendships, when we allow offense to take root and to stay there and not work ourselves out of the trap that we're stuck in, it actually leads to a love growing cold for one another. That's why it's so important, this teaching in the church is so important that we understand because it's going to come, and then what do we do about it? And then we walk through a couple weeks about how not to give one. Since, you know, the Bible says better to have a millstone hung around your neck and tossed in the sea. So, hey, we should learn a little bit about how not to give an offense. So we talk through that and about the differences. You know, it doesn't, it's not personality dependent. doesn't mean you can let people walk all over you. We went through all that. Then we talked about in week three how not to take one. And we talked about the story of Joseph. And we watched his life uh, in front of our eyes as we read through the scriptures. How not to take one. Then week four, if we took one. How do we get out? So if you're interested in any of these, we do have a podcast. It is up on the website. But if we took the offense and we're stuck in the trap, how the heck do we get out of the trap? And then two weeks ago, we talked about the reconciliation process, which is great. Once you get out of the trap, okay, now what? What do I do? And the Lord calls us to a reconciliation process, and we walk through that. This morning, the title of our message is this. How to be under authority and not take offense. Oh, come on. Now you're all thinking, is he going to talk about government? Is he going to talk about, you know, pastors? Is he going to talk about your bosses? Is he going to talk about marriage relationship? Is he going to talk about, I don't know. Whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, because each and every one of us is under authority in one way, shape, or form, this message is for you. So if you're living and breathing and offenses come, This message is for you. And I want to talk about how to be under authority and not 
take offense. There's some really clear things we can learn in the Bible. And I want to say a couple of things before I start. Uh, one, I am not talking about if you are in an abusive relationship if you're in a situation that is dangerous, I mean, those are situations where you need to go get counseling, you need to get out, you need to get help. I'm not talking about submitting to a leader or to leadership that is ungodly. Okay? I am not talking about that this morning. Because as we know, there is ungodly leadership. And I would encourage each and every one of you that if you have the Holy Spirit in... I got the... Okay, the football is not representing the Holy Spirit today. Okay. So if you have the Holy Spirit in one hand and the word of God in the other, then you are fully equipped to be able to discern things that are coming at you and understand who godly leadership is, who godly leadership isn't, and be able to work through that. I'm going to talk about that a little bit here in a minute. So I want to make sure you guys understand, I'm not talking about being under ungodly authority. But I will tell you, young kids, you've got parents, and the Bible clearly says that we need to be as children, under the authority of our parents. In fact, there are promises and blessings that go along with being under authority and being in a heart of obedience to that authority. Yeah. If you obey your parents, it will go well with you, and you will what? Have a long life. Like, there are things, Bible, biblical words that are connected here. A lot of us have bosses in our life. Yeah? Okay, I'm not, this is not the marriage relationship. It's every time out. I saw smirks on everyone, so I'm not talking about the marriage relationship. But we work for people, and we have bosses that are out there. You've got pastors in your life, right? You've got pastors in your life. There are government officials that are in authority. And so what do we do? How do we do this? I want to open up with a story uh, from my football playing days. Now, again, I was, I was just, look, for those who are new periodically I will pick up a football and I will just preach with a football in my hand. For no other reason than this is how I grew up. I grew up with a ball in my hand all the time. It actually makes me feel comfortable. Not that you all make me feel uncomfortable. But what I'm saying is that when I have this football in my hand, I feel comfortable. I will try not to fumble it. I will try not to move it around too much to make it distracting. But periodically I'll use a football analogy to help you guys remember. So when I, was, when I grew up playing football, uh, I was not an offensive lineman. What? Why are you shocked by this fact? Okay, I mean, I was built like this, you know, since the sixth grade. Uh, Anyway, okay, I was definitely not an offensive lineman, but I was quick on my feet. Okay, I just had a lot of speed. Uh, My 40-yard dash wasn't like, you know, blow them out of the water, getting recruited by Division I or anything, but I was really quick on my feet. And so as I was growing up, I I played running back which is, you know, the guy the quarterback hands the ball to, and he's kind of small, usually he zips through the different holes, and he's the running back. And so my whole career, I was running back, and I was actually decent at being a running back. And the coach came to me, and he told me, he said, Jason, you're no longer our running back. What? He said, I think you need to be our split end or our wide receiver. Because I've got this other running back who, you know, he can be running back. And I think you'd make a better split end. I struggled with this for a long time. But has any of you have played sports and you know, at least least when I played sports, when the coach says something, 
Guess what? You do it. When the coach says, Jason, you're no longer the running back. You are the split end. You say, yes, sir. How can I serve the team, sir? And I will be the split end. And in the back of my mind, I'm knowing our quarterback is horrible. And I know that he's horrible. God bless him. Which means as a split end, I'm not going to catch any passes. And what happened is, not only that, I actually got injured because I'm playing against 250-pound middle linebackers, and me as the little guy as a split end come across the middle, my quarterback throws it over my head, and I'm getting like broken ribs, hip flexors, I'm getting all these things, but I could be the running back. But if you notice, I didn't stand there and say, coach, I think you're making the wrong decision. I had to submit to the coach's authority. Because I could have pushed back and I probably wouldn't have been on the team anymore. And you see, God puts authority in our lives and there's many reasons why. We're going to talk through and how to actually operate under authority without taking offense. There's some key things we have to know and learn to be able to do. Now that was an example for me personally, but I know each of you have an example. Turn with me over to 1 Samuel. Turn with me to 1 Samuel. We're going to talk about the story of David. There has never been a man in the Bible, but Joseph was there too. But he's a close second, or maybe he is first place, of a man who positioned himself under authority and had every right to retaliate, had every right to take offense. And we're going to look at his story here in a little bit. But before I do, 1 Samuel 13 says this, but now your kingdom shall not continue. He's speaking of Saul's kingdom now. This is a prophetic word from Samuel, the prophet. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him, this is talking about David now, the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Now don't turn there, I'm going to put it on the screen. But Acts 13, 22. Look at this for a minute. This is talking about David again. And when he had removed him, removed Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, comma, who will do all my will. So it's interesting that the Lord, through the scriptures, ties a man after his own heart to someone who will do his will. I think, you know, we think, oh, you know, I, I want to be a man after God's own heart. I want to be a woman after God's own heart. But I really don't want to do the things that God's asking me to do. I really don't want to sit under authority because, you know, we live in America and I can do as I want. I can do as I please. I can come and go as I want. Do I have to go to church? Eh, who knows? Who cares? I don't really need to be part of a church family under authority. He's my pastor. She's my pastor. I'll go to this church and they're my pastor. This is how we live in America and it's detrimental to your life. I'm just telling you how it is. When did church become optional? I'm sorry, guys. I mean, look, I lived in seasons of my life where I felt like it was optional too. So I'm not judging anybody. I have to be here every week because you all pay me to be here. Okay, whatever. 
I'm just joking. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Uh, that's very, very fair point. But listen to me, guys. I don't understand, and we get offended so quickly, and we don't want to sit under somebody else's authority because we don't like the way they do something, the way they say something, unless they are telling you to go against the word of God, unless they are actively telling you to sin. If God has placed you in that place, then you ought to be a person under that person's authority. That's, the, that's what the Bible says. A man after his own heart was David. He sat under the authority of Saul, and Saul tried to kill him for goodness sakes. Your pastors have yet tried to kill you. Hasn't happened. It won't happen. I may give you difficult messages that, you know, y'all don't want to hear periodically. It may be piercing here and there. A man after his own heart. Here's some facts about David. He was from the tribe of Judah. He was Ruth and Boaz's great-grandson. He was the eighth son of Jesse. He was a shepherd, a musician. He killed lions and bears. He was the giant slayer of Goliath. He also slept with another man's wife, and he had her husband killed. Yet he is still written in Acts a man after God's own heart. That doesn't justify what he did, but it was his position, his heart position towards God the Father that made him a man after God's own heart. And we can see evidence in his life of this. So in the early years, 1 Samuel, if you're still in Samuel, go to 1 Samuel 16. So in the early years of David's life, Saul was rejected by uh, by, or he was rejected by the Lord as king. And the prophet Samuel comes to Jesse's house to anoint one of his sons. 1 Samuel 16. So it was when they came and he looked, verse, verse 6, at Elab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Right? The one who looked like they should be in charge. The one who had all the aspects, the outward appearance, that they should be in charge. This is one of David's brothers. But the Lord said to Samuel in verse 7, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. How many of you are thankful for that? He does not see. He's the one who saw David's heart. The Lord saw it. He sees your heart. He sees, you can act like you're in under authority and that you are submitted to an authority. You may act that way, but the Lord knows your heart. And you need to ask the Lord that. What is holding me back from that? For a man looks at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Verse 10, a little bit down further, says, Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, right, he's, he's here from the Holy Spirit, ain't one of them, not one of those seven that came by is the right one. The Lord has not chosen these. Verse 11, and Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? And then he said, well, you know, there's that other one out there. There remains yet the youngest, he's out there keeping the sheep. What is he doing? He's doing what his father asked him to go do. He didn't, he, it doesn't say he was out there getting upset that he wasn't invited to the party. 
He was out there doing what his father asked him to go do, and that was to go tend the sheep. And then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes. So then as you know the story, David comes in front, he gets anointed to be the next king. A little while later in the story goes like this. David goes to the battlefield. He goes to try to put on Saul's armor. It's too much. He takes, you guys know the story, yeah? The slingshot and the, sh- and the stone, a couple smooth stones, runs out there and kills Goliath. Side note, on this story, David, a man after God's own heart, was a man of faith. You just thought, of course he was. Yeah, But when we live in faith, we speak of that faith and we speak of things as as what we see becoming to happen in our lives. Do you know what David said before he ran out to Goliath? He said, I'm going to cut his head off with a sword. He didn't have a sword. He went out with the slingshot and the stones and he ran out there, but he declared that he was going to kill him with the sword. And that's exactly what happened. He took Goliath's sword then. Isn't that amazing? 1 Samuel 18. We're just going to keep like flipping your Bibles over, you know, scrolling over as you go. So he goes out, he kills Goliath. He goes out and fights some more. He becomes best friend with Saul's son, Jonathan. 1 Samuel 18, verse 7. So the women sang as they danced. And said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Okay, so now if you're King Saul for a minute, how is this making you feel? Yeah, not so great. Then Saul, verse 8, then Saul was very angry. Okay, not just a little bit angry. Saul has now gotten very angry. And the saying displeased him, he said, as they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me have ascribed only thousands, now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David. Think about that. He's watching them now. From that day forward. Let's just say it's not good to be in the king's crosshairs. Yeah? Like not a great place to be. But yet David is under this man's authority. So what begins to happen is, I'm going to skip a couple verses here. What begins to happen is he sends him out on battles. More and more battles in the hopes that David gets killed. Because he's got his eyes on it. You know what? Maybe I won't do I'm going to send him out. Verse 10 then it says, And it happened on the day that that distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. Then David began to play music with his hand. And at other times there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now, if you are a man who slays ten thousands and someone's throwing spears at you, I'm thinking your first reaction, yeah? First reaction is to pull out that. That's maybe my first reaction. You know what? I'm going to pull out this sword. This is ridiculous. How dare he do this to me? He's coming after me. What did David do? David fled. He actually tried, he just tried to get away. He began to, to flee. He was justified really in, in, 
in, in, as we say, this eye for an eye thing. Like he should have been able to go back and defend himself. But what he didn't do is he didn't go back and do that. A man after God's own heart. This story kind of blows me away. So I'm not going to read this one, but in 1 Samuel 18 and 17, Saul promises David his daughter and then says, nah, you can't have her. I'll give you a different daughter. So again, David ought to be really upset, really fired up, ready to go. Then Saul sends him out to war again and again, hoping that he would be killed, but David continues to come back triumphant. Remember this, church. No one can change the plan of God on your life. Only you can. <laughs> Only you can change the plan that God has for your life. Nobody else can change. You say, well, my boss has done this to me. Well, this has happened here. This has happened there. No one can change the plan of God for your life except for you. Leaders can try. But God's plan for David was to be king. And David did not have to take it into his own hands to become king. First Samuel 24. I'm going to get to my five points here in a minute. Because I've been doing five points for all my little messages here on offense. Just so you all have notes to take away someday. First Samuel 24. So basically Saul is out looking to get David. And he takes a potty break. Okay? That's right. He takes a potty break. He goes into a cave to, as the Bible says, I believe it says something like relieve himself. But he goes to take a potty break, okay? 1 Samuel 24, verse 4. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. The dude is pursuing you. He is trying to kill you. You talk about ungodly authority. Look, I'm not saying we got to submit to ungodly authority like this. I'm giving you an example in the Bible. How someone who was under authority, who should have been offended, who should have had every right to do what it is, but at the same time, he honored that position, he respected that position, and he was upset for cutting a little bit of the robe off. He could have killed him right there. It was in the cave. It was only him and his guys. Nobody would have known how it happened. He didn't do it. It troubled him. And then he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master. What? The Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. I'm not going to read the rest of that story, but he basically goes out and he tells them what happened. Saul's like, I can't believe it. But then it happens again. Saul continues to pursue him. David has an opportunity to take his life, and he doesn't do it. David says, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Hebrews 13, 17 says this. Obey those who rule over you, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. As those who must give account, let them do so with joy and not with grief. 
for that would be unprofitable for you. So the Bible is saying is not only do you have to position yourself in a place where you have a covering and there is authority over you, but you have a covering of a place of safety and protection because you know the enemy works to isolate. That's how I got back to this church optional thing because the longer you stay away, the harder it is to come back. The more isolated you become, the more likely you are to be the target of the enemy because you're off by yourself. And the Bible clearly states here that it says that we have to be in obedience to those who have rule over you. Now, again, this doesn't mean that you blindly follow authority. Notice I said blindly. You have the Holy Spirit in one hand and you have the word of God in the other. He has given you the ability to discern when you are under someone's authority what they are asking you. And I know many of you are fighting this battle right now. You're fighting this battle with employers who are making you or asking you to do something or forcing you to do something. A lot of you are fighting this battle right now. And it's important for you to understand that if any authority tells you to do something that goes against the word of God, then you do not do it. We as Christians can't blindly walk and assume that everyone is a godly leader and they're directing us in godly ways. You have to hear from God. You have to be in this word. You have to take the Holy Spirit with you everywhere that you go and discern. I think part of the issue we have is we too quickly just listen to what others are saying we should go do. We actually have sometimes the opposite issue that I'm talking about. We have the issues on both sides. Again, I'm not talking about here being under authority when there's any kind of abuse. I'm not talking here about when there are times when we need to stand up with righteous indignation. But what I will tell you this, is that the battle that we are fighting is not against flesh and blood. So stop acting like it. Okay? The battle we fight is against the principalities and the powers of darkness, not against flesh and blood. So your boss is not the enemy. The President of the United States is not your enemy. It's not your enemy. And so we don't have the ability, if we are Christians, to stand there and to belittle somebody and to speak ill will of somebody in such a way. You don't even know that person. You don't even know that person. And we, the Bible clearly says we have to honor those who are in authority. What happened to honor in this country? You can disagree with a person's viewpoints. You can have debates and discussions, but we as Christians cannot get up and begin to call people's names. We can't do it. The Bible doesn't let us do it. I mean, you can do it, but it won't go well with you. David, the guy, he was trying to kill him. He never said a bad word about Saul. Are you kidding me? Here's my daughter. Oh, can't have her. Let me throw some spears at you. Cut off his robe and he felt bad about it. So what does this mean? Thank you, Pastor Jason, for passionately telling me all these things. What am I supposed to do? Yeah? Okay, let's get to what you're supposed to go do, okay? Here's what it means. We must refuse to take revenge on those who have mistreated us. We've talked about that before. And I think what we see here at the very end of that story between David and Saul is that David showed a deep sorrow over Saul's death when Saul did die. 
And it just displayed and confirmed that the love of God, of his heart towards the Lord. So what does this look like? Number one, know your leaders. Know your leaders. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says this. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Know your leaders. Get to know your leaders. And in fact, know that your leaders, no matter where they are, whether it's your boss, whether it's your pastor, whatever, are they're not perfect. They're not perfect. And the battle you have is not against the leaders. So I believe the Lord is calling each of us to get to know those. I mean, can we get to know the boss that you have a little bit more? Absolutely you can. Know their heart. Think the best of them. Again, I'm talking about those who, you know, God, I'm not saying you have to, this is different than ungodly leaders, maybe I'll do that in another time frame. Know their heart. What filter are you using with their words and actions? What filter are you taking everything that is said through that person? Because when we set up the wrong filter and we don't know that leader, we don't understand their heart, we begin to take everything that they say through our own filter that we have set up, through our past, through our upbringing, through previous hurts, through whatever it is, and then that's the filter that we use, disregarding maybe what their true intentions really are. Point number two, fear the Lord. (laughs) Fear the Lord. Not the authority that is in place, even the ungodly ones, we do not have to fear them. The Bible clearly says we have to fear the Lord. Proverbs 19.23 says this, the fear of the Lord leads to life. This is what leads to life. And he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. The definition of fearing the Lord is to not want separation from him. Our goal, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. And all these things will be added onto you. All the things. You don't have to worry about anything else. When we position ourselves, you know what? I know that I need to be under authority wherever God has placed me, whether that be with the church, or that be my job, whatever it is. But I will sit here, I will stand here, knowing that my first and foremost point is I am going to fear the Lord. And I'm going to walk in obedience to his commandments. This fear of the Lord, not wanting to be separated from God. So the question I ask you, are you living with the fear of the Lord or the fear of man? David had multiple chances to take Saul's life. He really should have been afraid of Saul. And he should have responded and reacted. But what did he do? He feared the Lord more than he feared Saul. There are benefits when we fear the Lord. Psalm 111 Verse 10. Look at this. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding. Have all those who do his commandments, his praise endures forever. 
And for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through There's multiple verses in Proverbs and in Psalms that gives benefits of fearing the Lord. Point number three, cultivate God's character. What do I mean by this? You have to understand that God's goal for you is wholeness. And sometimes there are things that come into your life, usually from leaders, close friends, that challenge you in a way, both good and bad, to get you to whole. God's goal is whole for your life. And there are times where I've worked for bosses that I did not prefer and care for in any way, shape, or form when I was at GE. But because of that, he helped me learn and grow from those situations. So if we can look at these situations as a growth and a learning opportunity versus being this person is evil and terrible and I never want to work for them and speak ill will of them, what two different ways, I mean, which one do you think is going to go better? Cultivate God's character. Philippians 1.11 says this, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Filled with fruits. Don't be surprised when leaders are not perfect, because they're not. God presents opportunities to us all the time. Number four, we have to honor those in authority. Honor those in authority. You say, why do I have to do that? 1 Peter 2, 13 says this. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Verse 16, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak or vice, but as bondservants of God. Verse 17, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Grace, if you want to come back up here. You see, the Bible clearly states that he puts people in authority. You say, but I voted. Still, at the end of the day, based on the Bible, God puts people in authority. And we have to recognize that he has put people in authority and that we need to honor that position and honor that authority. But what this does not mean is that we should ever do anything against the word of God. If someone in authority is asking us to do something that is against our convictions, then we should not and will not do it. Because we have to fear God above fearing men. A great example of this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You don't have to turn there, but many of you know the story. They said this, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. There was a conviction that they had that they would not worship anyone else but the Lord. That the Lord will deliver. They didn't try to deliver themselves, guys. The Lord delivered them. 
If that's the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. He will deliver us from your hand, O King. But if not, let it be known to you, O King, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. A little further down, it says, Looking answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. God is with you. God is for you. So how do we honor someone? We don't curse them. We pray for them. We pray for them. I am so grateful to stand up here and know that you pray for us. Daily, I talk to people that says, you guys pray for us. We could not do this without your prayer. We could not do this without you. In fact, if you weren't here, there wasn't be no church. But the Bible clearly says we should not curse those who are placed in authority, but we need to pray for them. And the last point here you can write down is keep yourselves in love. For God so loved the world. He so loved you. He so cared about you. He knows the position you're in. He knows the challenge you're in. He knows the battles that you're facing. He knows where he, it's not a surprise where he's positioned you. But we must keep ourselves in love just as he had loved us. It says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Just bow your heads this morning. Talking about offenses, how to be under authority and not be offended. Lord is asking us to know our leaders, to fear the Lord, to cultivate God's character, to honor those who he has placed in authority over us, and even most importantly, to keep ourselves in love. So, Father, I ask, Lord, we know that there are many difficult situations that people are facing now. With the Holy Spirit in one hand and the Word of God in the other, Father, I pray that they will just bring that to you. That you will lead them and guide them and to direct them. There are situations in which they should not be in, Lord, you would make a way out. Lord, if there are situations in which it's just their flesh, or their earthly and worldly desires, Lord, that you would begin to transform their heart to know that the battle is not against flesh and blood. That they would choose to honor those who have been placed in authority in their lives. Father, that they would see the best in others as you see the best in us. And Lord, that we would understand 
as it says in Romans 5, that God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, that He wants His love to grow in us more and more. And that Your goal for us is always whole. So Father, I just ask for You to strengthen us today. Lead us and guide us today. Father, with all these messages on offenses, that we would understand that we cannot hold on to these. We cannot hold on to them and let them take root. Now, Lord, if there are things that people that are hearing my voice need to do, forgive, to reconcile, you would give them the strength and the courage to do it. Father, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every, everyone's eyes still closed, if you're here this morning and you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to pray with you this morning. I just want you to take a moment, reflect, make sure you're right in that relationship with Jesus. And I'll meet you up here, right in the, in the center here after the service is over. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Okay, you guys can look up here. Uh, we've got some prayer teams that are going to come up. They're going to be up here at the front. I just want to read this benediction over you guys, and then you guys are dismissed. It says this in Ephesians 3. Out of his glorious, unlimited resources... Come on, church. Out of his glorious, unlimited resources, he will give you the mighty inner strengthening of his Holy Spirit. And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts, a man and a woman after God's own heart, living within you as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep in the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel and understand, as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high His love really is. And to experience this love for yourselves. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. There'll be people up here that can pray for you. Have an amazing week. Enjoy the summer-like weather.